Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. After extensive research, I've come to the conclusion that Die Hard is actually a Christmas movie. Just no. kidding. Happy April Fool's Day and welcome to Fantasy yeah. Baseball Today. I am Frank Stanfield, joined by, you heard him already, Scott White. Not Scott Towers. Happy birthday once again to Scott White, Chris Towers, and Adam Azer. Guys, I think we can all agree with everything going on. April Fool's Day is canceled, right? I mean, April Fool's Day should be canceled at all times. It's the worst day to be on the internet. Uh, Nobody's funny. None of you are funny people. Wow. Uh, Wow. And April Fool's Day is uh, terrible as a Mm. result. So just don't do it, ever. I got, I've gotten duped a few times on April Fool's, definitely. Uh, a couple of... One was just actually about Die Hard. Somebody, my friend, sent me an article about how they were doing a Die Hard reboot, the original, and Bruce Willis was going to star in it, and he was super old. I was like, what? And then I sent it to Jamie, and he was like, hey, what's today's date? And I was like, wow, I cannot believe I fell for that. Uh, the other one was about 10... No, more than 10 years ago, 10 to 12 years ago, my friend set up an email account from this girl that I interviewed for a segment on something. And the email account was just her like telling me how how cute I was and she wanted to meet up with me and all that. And it went, <laughs> went on all day. And then they revealed it was an April Fool's joke. So does not wow. feel very you good. Got I did, yeah. It on does, April Fool's. It does not feel very good to be on the receiving end of an April Fool's joke. So fine. <laughs> April April Fool's is dead, Frank. Agreed. Is that Adam Azer or uh, Manti Teo? I know this is a baseball <laughs> podcast, but sorry, Adam. I, just, what, I was, well, I was Manti Teo for one day. Yes, it's true. Chris, you could appreciate this or, or maybe not appreciate it. My fiance sent me a fake link earlier today that said starting Monday, New York is no longer selling alcohol during the mm. quarantine. So I was ready to pack up and run to <laughs> my nearest supermarket and buy as much beer as I possibly can. Yeah, I bought some beer last night. I bought like three packs just in case. You know, I'm one one way that I've been able to tell that I'm I'm taking this whole situation more seriously as time goes on is my uh my grocery store trips have gotten more expensive and less frequent. Uh, you know, at, at the start Good of this, job. about three weeks ago, I was going like every two days, which was pretty normal for me because we just don't have a lot of space. Uh, and, and yesterday it was like a, a full like week's worth of grocery shopping, at least. My, my wife, I don't think, is going to let me out of the apartment for a week. <laughs> now I, you have a whole pallet of beefaroni in your living room is what you're saying. I, I did have a Lunchable pizza for lunch today and i got two <laughs> packs of bagel bites this time rather than just one you, so become, we're really we're really taking this seriously you've become so regressive with your eating habits <laughs> you're like gourmet chef on twitter for a while there look at these brussels sprouts i made my so dinners, fabulously look my dinners are still very good i made some delicious uh cuban style fried pork last night with some uh some tostones and rice and beans it was great Mm-hmm. But yeah. at lunch, you know, I'm trying to work, you know. Sure. But in like two weeks of two weeks more of quarantining, your dinner is going to be a 
a Cuban style hot pocket or something like that. It's oh man, like get... a Cuban sandwich hot pocket. Yeah, hey, hot pockets oh are God. great. Nah. I need it. Hey Chris, yeah, if you want to, like, if you want to send a twelve pack of hot pockets to my house, like I, I will eat those on the air, no problem. Uh, Chris or I, Adam, you might want to patent that the uh, Cuban sandwich hot pocket. I want to remind everybody that we have a fantasy baseball podcast bracket that's taking place, and yes. starting tomorrow, Thursday, April second, on the at baseball pods Twitter, you can vote for your very own fantasy baseball today. We're the number one seed in the Cody Bellinger region. And look, we want to take this thing down. So support your favorite fantasy baseball podcast. The only way you know how get in on the voting and help us out so that we can continue to reign supreme in the fantasy baseball industry. All right. I want to move on to, uh, I want to finally get into this deep dive on Jose Arquiti. I've been talking about it for days and Adam brought it up the other day that, you know, you guys have never really kind of gotten into it on Jose Urquidy. So I want to start doing one of these uh, deep dives per day. So what I'm going to propose is when leaving a five-star review on iTunes, drop a player that you want us to deep dive as well in there. So like we're doing today for Jose Urquidy, drop in whoever you want us to deep dive and we'll continue to do this at the top or end of every show. Uh, but I think it's a good way to talk about players that maybe the guys haven't talked about as much throughout our fantasy baseball prep. So I want to start things off with Jose Urquidy. In nine games last year, seven starts in the majors, Urquidy had a 3.95 ERA and a 1.10 whip with 40 strikeouts to just seven walks in 41 innings pitched. He added 10 innings in the postseason with 12 strikeouts to just two walks. In his minor league career, a 3.37 ERA, 1.15 whip, 351 strikeouts in 323 and a third innings pitched. He has a four pitch mix. Uh, the fastball 47% of the time has a changeup that he uses. That's his bread and butter pitch. Slider 17%, curveball 10% of the time as well. 12% uh, swinging strike rate. Very solid pitcher. And I think that there's a lot to like here. Scott, I think you can get us started here. What's your breakdown of Jose Arquiti looking like in 2020? What can we expect this season? Well, he's. Part of the reason I don't think we've gone too in depth on him is is because I find him difficult to talk about. He is not like this well regarded pitching prospect, uh, and yet he had some pretty impressive numbers in the minors, specifically the strikeout to walk ratio last year, and the walk rate has been very consistent throughout his minor league career, below two per nine. That seems to be the thing he does best of all. He seems to have a really good changeup. And where that manifested most last year is, even though he's a right-handed pitcher, he just killed lefties last year. 184 with a 544 OPS is what they had against Rikidi in the majors last year. So that changeup definitely seems to be a thing that's working for him. And like the breaking ball doesn't look bad. It, it The scouting reports don't make the slider out to be a good pitch, but it seems like he's getting enough swings and misses with it that... I I think maybe I think maybe I'm with more of the 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 fantasy analysis community on this than the actual scouting reports on Jose Urquidy. He's he's a pretty trendy sleeper, and obviously being with the Astros and all the advantages they present him with, uh, and I don't mean cheating wise, but I just mean the great supporting I mean... cast. Um, that obviously <laughs> helps his case too. So he, he already has a rotation spot secured. And there's enough interesting going on here that I can I can back him I can back him as being a pretty good sleeper. 
the Astros have been known to dabble in the uh, cheating scandals there, Scott. Chris, I want to ask you uh, to rank Jose Urquidy, Dallas Keuchel, and Andrew Heaney, who are all going relatively close to each other, according to Fantasy Pros ADP right now. Uh, for me, it would be Heaney, Urquidy, Keuchel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would go the same way, except in points leagues, I'd go Keuchel 1, then Heaney, then Urquidy. Keuchel will be last in Roto. Is that the biggest takeaway here that Urquidy is maybe someone you target more in a roto league? He strikes me as someone who can help your whip more than anything. He's consistently shown good command, as Scott mentioned, throughout the minor leagues. And I think that's something that can help him uh, in the whip category specifically. So, you know, you're not going to find a lot of late round whip contributors in roto leagues. But does that make sense to target Jose Urquidy more in a roto league more than a head to head points league? I feel like any pitcher you're targeting late, um, you're not like any pitcher you're targeting late. You're you're doing it with the hope they're improving, right? Because any of the late round pitchers, their numbers are just going to be bad. They're just going to pull down your ratios if you're just looking at them to repeat what they did last season, right? Am I wrong ab- about that? So like, you're you're mostly targeting upside in the late rounds at starting pitcher, and I, I mean they're. There's truth to that at every position, of course, but I think especially starting pitcher because of the way uh, the way the game has trended recently where, uh, like, there isn't much mediocrity at starting pitcher. It's either really good or really bad. Again, yeah, Jose Urquidy, one of those popular, you know, upside picks later on in drafts, so I think that makes a lot of sense. That's a little bit of a deep dive on Urquidy. I know we haven't spoke about him much to this point. So again, if you want us to deep dive a player, when you leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes, drop in a player that you want us to deep dive and we will do that for said player. Uh, Coming up on today's show, probably should have mentioned this at the top, but we're going to be reviewing the Dynasty Startup Head-to-Head Points mock draft that we did over at CBS Sports that Scott White so graciously set up. And we're going to break down uh, that entire draft or as much of it as we possibly can get into here. And we'll kind of, you know, I think it's interesting, you know, talking about more of philosophy from a dynasty perspective as well. And that's why I wanted to start off today with an email. Normally we save the emails for the end, but I think it's a good way to kind of transition into this draft. And you can send us your emails, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. You can always tweet at us as well. Uh, This one comes from Andrew Hudson, Dear Thomas, Robinson, and Viola. Those are instruments. <laughs> Those are all Franks. You get a lot of love, Frank. Oh, my gosh. I appreciate it. Yeah. First of all, Frank. Whoa. Welcome to the show. I'm Chris, a loyal listener. And I, so wait, far, I just said, Chris, are you? Look at this breaking. Are, are you kidding me? I just sent Chris the tweet. Would you like to read it, Chris? Is it? I, I, I'm going to Twitter to make sure it's real because you just admitted that you fall for April Fool's jokes. Damn it. Damn it. Yes. You know, every single year, every year, I fool the listeners with an April Fool's joke. And it's always somebody tore his ACL and is out for the season or something like that. And I always start the show. And Frank comes on and he craps all over that right at the top. So I just sent Chris a fake tweet from Joel Sherman that Aaron Judge is going to have surgery and he's going to be out three to four months. And I, I did like... I did this really professionally, and Chris snuffed it out. 
So, well, so here's the thing, Adam. I'm I'm not an amateur like you. <laughs> you know, I have notifications set up on my phone for that's uh, true. the big. Oh, I should have sent this to Scott. Ken Rosenthal probably would have retweeted Joel Sherman reporting that. It, he just I didn't tweeted see it. that. It was so, one minute ago. You know, it was one minute ago, Adam. Yeah, I know. Right. It's, uh, there wasn't time to retweet. All right. Congratulations, I, Adam. All right. You back to your yourself. email. Back to your email. In a keeper league, and I'm trying to figure out how to use Scott's dynasty rankings to help me decide who to keep. In a TED team head-to-head categories, 6x6 six six with average and OPS, I can keep three players for as long as I want, and they count for my first three-round picks. Alex Bregman is a no-brainer, but I also have Jose Ramirez, Fernando Tatis Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and Shane Bieber. After Bregman, Scott has Tatis clearly ahead of the rest, with Ramirez and Bieber back-to-back and Vlad a few spots behind. So I'll throw that one your way first here. Scott, is who would you take to pair with Alex Bregman, assuming he's one of the no-brainers for you as well? Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And I would I would go with the way I rank them in that column. I, obviously, those dynasty rankings, it's a, it's a top 150, and it's, it's not one-size-fits-all because no dynasty ranking especially can be. But I think in this situation, it's appropriate. The fact it's a categories league and the stolen bases have increased value six by six. So not as much as a traditional five by five, but still you want the steals there and Tatis Ramirez. They're both young. They both give you the steals. Those would be my picks. I agree. All right. And so I want, the reason why I really wanted to kind of introduce this question to start is because the next question is how do I balance being the most competitive I can now with investing in the future is Vlad still can't miss can I afford to let a potential generational talent like him go? Ramirez scares me with his volatility lately, and I hadn't considered keeping a pitcher until I saw how high Scott had Bieber. But but to me, the main question there, the first question, how do I balance being the most competitive I can now with investing in the future, I think is just a great way to kind of lead into re- recapping this dynasty startup head-to-head points mock draft because I think that that's what people struggle with most when drafting in a dynasty league is how do you kind of balance being the most competitive you you can be now with investing for the future? I think there's a tendency to overrate prospects in dynasty leagues because I don't think many dynasty leagues are set up in a way that gives, gives prospects value. That's uh, that, that that's close to like the value a real life prospect would have. So we see, we see the way actual major league teams value prospects and we want to value them the same way in a dynasty league. But what gets lost in that a lot of times is that the reason prospects are so valuable in three life in real life is because they are going to be so cheap to roster for so many years. And most dynasty leagues don't have a value element attached to players, at least not one that separates prospects from the actual major leaguers in, in such a clear way like that. So if you're just talking about youth, I I mean, you definitely prioritize the already proven player over the prospective one who just, you know, if you're if you're picking a prospect who's three years younger than an already established studly major leaguer, you're just taking on risk unnecessarily. I mean, the, the the timeline difference isn't great enough there for me to to side with the younger player, the prospect, when I could already have somebody who's going to help me win now and for years to come. And to add on to that, 
I don't really think much further than about three years. And it's not just because, you know, you don't know if your league will be around in three years, even even if it will be. Um, there's just so much that can go wrong. You know, go look at a top prospect list from three years ago. You're going to have a lot of hits, but you're going to have a lot of guys who just turned into average major leaguers. And you're going to have a lot of guys who never turn into much of anything. And so I just, three years is a really, really long time in baseball. And you don't know what things are going to look like beyond that. I mean, you don't know what things are going to look like next year. But, uh, you know, when I'm looking at like, in this case, Jose Ramirez versus Vladimir Guerrero. I really like Vladimir Guerrero long-term. I don't think his uh, his long-term value has taken much of a hit with his disappointing rookie season, although it does, you know, it, it does prove to that, you know, they're not always going to hit right away. But I would bet on Jose Ramirez being more valuable for the next three years. And so that's what I would go with, because what happens in 2025 is a lot less important than what happens in 2020. I Adam, think, considering that you are our resident dynasty perspective, <laughs> uh, dynasty, you know, analyst here. Yeah, right. What is what is your approach to if you were just drafting in a startup league? Would you? Because I feel like there's three different types of approaches where you can be the draft all youth and prospects owner, or you're the I'm going to draft old players and try and win now, or would you try and be like a mix of both? Ideally, a mix of both. And yeah, I'm not a, not really a prospect guy. Definitely gonna have to start becoming more of that. And I'm not um, a dynasty guy per per se. But I'm just looking at a draft we did earlier this year, a mock draft, a startup dynasty mock draft. I had the third pick, Trout and Acuna were the first two picks, and then this is a points league. And then I took Cody Bellinger. Second round, I took Jack Flaherty. Um, third round I took Glaber Torres I took Torres over like Anthony Rendon and a lot of other players that I would have taken over Glaber yeah. Torres in a seasonal league fourth round I took Tyler Glass now uh fifth round Jesus Lazardo and I think we were required to pick well, I don't know if Lazardo counted I don't remember like we were required to pick yeah. five prospects and Lazardo counted and he's yeah. also RP eligible in this league so that you know then I took Charlie Blackman in the sixth round Okay, so I took Charlie Blackman. The next pick was Shohei Otani, then Matt Olson, Eloy Jimenez, right? So taking Blackman over Eloy Jimenez, I think, is a perfect example. I felt I already had you uh, some youth. I had Cody Bellinger, Glaber Torres, Jack Flaherty, um, Tyler Glass. Now those guys are are young. They're in their prime or they're approaching their prime. So I'm gonna take Charlie Blackman because there's no reason why Charlie Blackman should last that long in drafts. Um, round si- almost the end of round six, so that's like uh, yeah. W- what is that? Seventieth overall, almost. And a lot of those kind of picks happened in in this mock draft, which was the same format. You just didn't take part in this one, a head-to-head points dynasty startup. And and since I set up the league, I, I obviously know the way the rules are, and the way they are in this league is you have to roster five players with rookie eligibility still, so minor leaguers basically. But you're keeping them on equal terms with everybody else. So I, I think the way you played it there was was perfect, Adam, in that you know, apart from Charlie Blackman, your your first picks there were all guys under twenty five, right around twenty five. So still very young with a bright future and yet already proven to be 
impact players in fantasy. So I think for that setup, those are those are definitely the highest priority players. It's it's another situation where you really have to know and understand the rules of your league, and sometimes that means playing in it for a couple years before you really grasp it completely. But there are certainly ways where you can set up a dynasty league so that prospects have uh, value more proportionate with how they're valued in real life and that you may want to value them over a more proven player. I, the 24-team dynasty league we talk about a lot on the podcast that I run, um, it, it's kind of set up that way where prospects start have such a low keeper cost in the beginning and for the first several years after you activate them that that it would make sense to value them over a more proven player uh, just depending on what that player's cost is and uh, there's actually a piece on that about cbssports.com it's uh it's called setting up the perfect dynasty league but it's kind of the backstory of the scott white dynasty league and it has the full constitution in there so if you're if you're wondering what to do with your time right now, you might look into starting a league like that. In football, if you do a startup dynasty draft in football, there's a decent chance one of the managers is going to tank and take just nothing but young players and then get like the first pick in theory. Who knows how it's going to turn out? But have a really early draft, a really early pick in the rookie draft. It, this is obviously a completely different ball game. I mean, having an early pick yeah. in the rookie draft, like that's just a different concept. And plus, you know, it's so easy to be like, yeah, I'm going to take this young quarterback, this young running back, whatever. But it's just different with baseball prospects. The timelines are completely different. So I would never approach a dynasty draft like that. But a young core, mostly hitting early, I'd say. And don't yeah. be afraid to augment with the Charlie Blackmans of the world when you just can't believe how late they're going. And Scott mentioned the article he has on CBS Sports about his home dynasty league that he has. And there he has a ton of dynasty content on CBS Sports. He has his top 150. We have this mock draft up there as well. So if you want to kind of dive into some of the uh, dynasty fantasy baseball analysis that we have, that's all over at CBSSports.com. I-, I wanted to take a look at the first round specifically in this draft. And reminder that it is the head-to-head points scoring roster construction that we use over at CBS Sports. One catcher, first baseman, second base, third base, shortstop, three outfielders, one utility bat, five starting pitchers, two relief pitchers, 10 bench spots. Again, uh, five of those spots have to be used on a rookie eligible player. I mean, that player can be in your lineup as well, but you have to have at least five rookie eligible players. The first round looked like this. Mike Trout, Christian Yelich, Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto, Cody Bellinger, Walker Bueller, Mookie Betts, Alex Bregman to Scott, Francisco Lindor to Chris, Rafael Devers to me at 10, Garrett Cole at 11, and Nolan Arenado at 12. So, Scott, you went with Alex Bregman. Chris, you went with Francisco Lindor. Are you guys pleased with those picks in this draft? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, looking back, I might have preferred Devers, but I I think that's Six and one, half dozen the other. Bregman would probably be my fifth pick in this format. If I mean, he's so young still. People, yeah, I, he's, I think, awesome. overlook how young he is, and see, with more walks than strikeouts each of the past two years. I mean, this is this is a guy who's. I'm happy to build a dynasty dynasty team around, especially in the points format. Yeah, so Bregman's just 26 years old, and. He was the top scoring hitter in fantasy baseball points leagues 
last year. So 657 and a half fantasy points. Uh, he was the number one hitter. So I was actually hoping he would make it to 10. I didn't think it was realistic. But yeah, Scott scooped him up at number eight. And Chris, you mentioned that you debated taking Rafael Devers in in hindsight. I felt like I might have taken Rafael Devers a little bit too early there, but he is 23 years old. He was third in fantasy points last year at the position. He was third in fantasy points per game, both of those ahead of Nolan Arenado. And again, he's he's five years younger than Nolan Arenado. So in hindsight, I kind of thought, well, should I have taken Rafael Devers over Arenado? But, you know, when I kind of looked into the stats, I, you know, I didn't mind it in, in hindsight. So I was it's uh, one thing about Dynasty Leagues, too, is it's harder to have a definitive answer. I feel like personal taste comes into yeah. it a lot more. And uh, I, I don't have a problem with you taking Devers there as young as he is. And he was just I, I was he the number one third baseman in this format last year. No, he wasn't. He was not number one. He but was he was third. pretty Redman. He Redman was. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I, Walker yeah, Buehler I, I went sixth it. overall. That was probably the reachiest of any picks in this draft. But clearly, a guy was valuing pitching in the head-to-head points format. And uh, if you if you want if you want a dynasty focused starting pitcher, I don't know that there's I, I don't know that there's a clearer one than Walker Bueller. I mean, obviously the the guys we think of at the top of the pitcher rankings are all pretty old. Even Garrett Cole, he's twenty nine, right? Yeah. So he's not going to going to have a a long-term future for you. Hopefully three or four good years left. I did not particularly like the Arenado pick because if you, you know, Joel Sherman wrote, and this is not an April Fool's joke, that <laughs> he's going to get traded. It might not be this year, but if not, it's going to be next year. So I don't know how much longer he's got in a Rockies uniform. He's also going to be 29, I believe, in in like 15 days. Uh, yeah, so I think I the, love the that age is more of a concern for me. Um I actually think the moment Nolan Arenado gets traded is probably the best time to buy him in a dynasty league. But because... not as a first round pick. Uh, no, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's still a first round caliber hitter. Um, you know, one of the things that we talked about when those rumors were going on was that, you know, Matt Holiday was probably the last <clears throat> prime, really, really great hitter that the Rockies traded, you know, Carlos Gonzalez was past his prime when he left the team. Um, and Matt holiday was pretty much as good after leaving the Rockies as he was before there, there was a little bit of a, a decline, but one thing you have to consider with the Rockies is yeah, Coors field makes you hit really well. It's a great place to hit, but there is really compelling evidence to suggest that, um, players hit worse in the first series after playing course field, both hitters who call course field home and visiting hitters. And so as you might imagine, uh, Nolan Arenado plays a lot of games outside of course field, about half of them usually. <laughs> and so that's going to impact him pretty significantly. <laughs> I guess, but his OPS away from course field is, Really good, but it's not amazing. 867 last year, 2018, it was uh, 772, which was low for him. 886 in 2017. Uh, but yeah, but it's also the age, as you mentioned. And um, Corey Dickerson it, wasn't a great hitter, but we were pretty optimistic about him. Thought he was pretty legit going to Tampa Bay, and he hasn't been fantasy relevant since he left the Rockies. 
Arenado, a career 324 hitter at home with, <clears throat> excuse me, 995 OPS at home on the road, 265 hitter with a 799 OPS. Uh, I think, you know, if he were to move over to another team, he would, I think he would be better than a 799 OPS hitter, right. but yeah. I worry a little bit more about him than it sounds like Chris does. And Chris, I do appreciate uh, David Bowie, your cats uh, kind of wrapping up your <laughs> Nolan Arenado analysis for you there in the background. Oh, that's what that was. Yeah, she uh, she mostly sleeps all day. But as soon as I start talking on a call or a podcast, she really wants my attention. Why did you so David name Bowie her... is a she. Yeah. Why did you name yes. a female David Bowie? I mean. David Bowie was famously pretty androgynous, so I don't think there's uh there's any reason it has to be a boy. And she's skinny and and you know all white, so she, you know the thin white Duke. <laughs> okay, I, I'm actually I'm alright with that, you know, reasoning for for the David Bowie name there. I think when people hear Dynasty, they most people associate with prospects, and Wander Franco was the first prospect taken in this draft, and he went in round two. So round two looked like this. It started off with Jacob deGrom, Freddie Freeman. I took Jordan Alvarez, Jose Ramirez to Chris, Fernando Tatis to Scott, Anthony Rendon, Wander Franco, Glaber Torres, Jack Flaherty, Starling Marte, Shane Bieber, Xander Bogarts. So Wander Franco goes to the same owner who drafted Walker Bueller in the first round. So it's clear, again, a reminder that, look, there are going to be different takes and ways that you attack Dynasty Leagues, but it was very clear that this owner wanted younger players and was kind of building their team around that. And I think it was a consistent theme throughout the course of the draft that this owner actually yeah. continued to take prospects. So he starts yeah, his that team was... off with Walker Bueller and then goes with Wander Franco in the second round. I believe that was B Don, right, Scott? Yes. B Don of Rasball, who we've had on the podcast before. He was he was the most aggressive about building for the long haul. And maybe it'll work out for him. He's 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 making lower percentage picks here, and you're not sure what percentage of them are actually going to turn into high-end players. So it's it's not the approach I would have taken, but certainly if enough of them do, he has a very strong core for years to come. And, and obviously, Wander Franco is is the top prospect that should go in this format. I I wouldn't target <laughs> him as early in round two, um, but should he go ahead of Luis Robert? I. Think so? Yeah, I mean that's and how I rank them in my that's how I rank them in my prospect rankings. I have Franco one and Robert two, hmm. so I would say Franco ahead. Uh, but yeah, there's obviously room to disagree there. Um, I took Fernando Tatis here early in round two. You know I don't like taking Fernando Tatis. You know I don't like taking him early in round two, especially in a head-to-head points league. But that shows you that even. The, the degree to which my own thinking was being adjusted for the dynasty formats and being 21 year old, who's already shown super high potential sky high upside. Um, I yeah, want to say I something about Tatis actually, if you don't mind. So this is a points league and he's probably in a roto league of a first round pick in a dynasty league. And I, I mean, I thought he should have been anyway, but Plate discipline does hurt, right, in a points league. But he's so young, and plate discipline is something that players sort of acquire. Mookie Betts, you know, Cody Bellinger is a great example, right? I mean, he wasn't a great plate discipline guy until last year when he was. Uh, but I don't, you know, I don't really know what to make of it because Tatis, I, his minor league track record, he didn't have good plate discipline. 
And Bellinger yeah. did at times, did not at times, but I don't know that there was any time when Tatis had a good walk-to-strikeout ratio. So I'm not sure if that's in his future. And that's sort of like Bregman, Betts, Bellinger. That's a step that they took to become the best hitters in baseball, among the best hitters in baseball. Probably Trout, too. I don't remember yeah. what his plate this was. But I, I was trying not to overthink it because he's a 21-year-old who yeah. had the fourth most points per game at the position last year. So, you know, that was even with bad plate discipline. And obviously we've talked before about how we wonder how sustainable what he did last year was. And that's why he's on my bust list just for 2020. But when you're talking about his entire future, how high end is he going to be and for how long? Um, yeah, I, I just decided it was it was worth pursuing at that price because he could be. Like him and Bregman, they're leading my team. That could that could be something that goes on for, I don't know, five-plus years at least. I, I think you made the right call there, Scott. And I think the point that Adam made about you can improve your plate discipline, you see it in the player I took in the first round. I mean, he's the prime example. Rafael Devers at pick 10, you know, two years ago in 2018, 24.7% strikeout rate. Next thing you know... 2019, he lowers that almost eight percentage points and he's down at a 17% strikeout rate. So look, guys can come up and struggle from the get-go with plate discipline and and swing and miss, but it's something that they can improve on. So I think you actually made the right call there. And Chris, just in terms of your argument of Luis Robert versus Wander Franco, I would say to me, and I kind of blurted it out there, I think it just comes down to plate discipline. And I think that's why so many people are excited about Franco is that you know, 11% walk rate last year. I mean, he was a 6.7% strikeout rate. It's high A ball, I get that. In single A, he was a 7% strikeout rate. For me, I think it's probably the plate discipline that lends you to someone like Franco over Luis Robert. I think that's fair. I'll just say my philosophy for this draft and for pretty much all dynasty drafts is... uh I'm going to value guys who are closer to the majors. I'm going to value guys who are more uh, finished products because the the history of of top prospects lists is littered with guys who crushed in high A and started to falter as they got. Now, I'm not at all expecting that from Wander Franco, but there are more ways that this can go wrong for him. Or maybe there's more time for things to go. Like, Luis Robert is major league ready. And he might be major league ready to be a 30 30 guy. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, but, Chris got Wander, Chris got Luis I, Robert 38 picks later. That was, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know if people <laughs> forgot Luis Robert existed. I got him 57th overall in a dynasty league. That was stupid. <laughs> like, that's yeah. that no was, offense. Well, it, no it probably, more than anything, people. it probably shows that B Don reached for Wander Franco, <laughs> which was the point I was, um, putting out there but i mean like wonder franco like he's gonna be the Rays starting shortstop for most of next year right it's not like he's far far away 2020 or 2021 2021 same although thing. they were hinting <laughs> at the possibility he could be up at some point in 2020 obviously one, who knows now so it's tough because the rays are pretty consistently one of the more patient teams with their top prospects i feel like when we talk about Rays top prospects you know scott you're right you're your in-season prospects report column, and you're always doing like the top five to stash, top five to watch. And it just feels like a lot of the times when you're talking about these Rays prospect guys, there will be a guy as one of the top prospects to stash for like four months. 
But and but so, it, they've never been this close to being a real. They haven't been this close to being a true World Series contender since they went to the World Series, which is a long time ago. They also haven't had this many good players at the major league level. I'm also Although, not sure they've ever had a prospect as good as Wander Franco. I'm trying to think of who that would be. Longoria Matt or Will yeah, Myers. Long, I mean, yeah. they weren't quite on the same level as Wander Franco. If you were wondering where Vlad Guerrero Jr. went, the answer is round three. Steven Strasburg, Trevor Story, George Springer, Bo Bichette, Luis Castillo, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bryce Harper, Mike Clevenger to Scott, Trey Turner to Chris. I mean, Trey Turner, wow. I mean, going in the middle of the third round, I, I don't care that it's a points league. That just, that seems insane. Ozzy Albee to me, Kettle, Kettle Marte uh, with the pick with pick 35, and then Keston Hira at pick 36. Uh, Trey Turner, look, he's 26 years old. He's probably better in Roto than he is in a head-to-head points yeah. league. But 3.8 fantasy points per game last season, that was the same number as Fernando Tatis. He's 26 years old. I mean, Chris, this was a no-brainer. Yeah, my my approach was not to focus too much on prospects, to fo- but to focus on legitimate right now con- uh, contributors who are you know 27 or under, and that's pretty much my entire core. At least my entire first, I don't know, 15 picks, thir- 12 picks. I got Carlos Carrasco in the 13th round. Um, I just. I don't know. Trey Turner's underrated in points leagues. I think there's yeah, he was I, number I, two in points yeah, per I, game in this format I, last year. Number two. I tweeted earlier today that, you know, people forget that Mike Trout, he's so good at everything that people kind of forget that he's also the best hitter in baseball. Like he, he just kind of doesn't get as much credit as he deserves for that specifically. I think something similar happens with a guy like Trey Turner where he's so good in Roto. And his skill set especially seems so well suited to Roto that people kind of discount the fact that he's also just an awesome baseball player who yeah. is an elite option in a points league as well. Yeah, I hated passing. I, I had the pick right before you and took Clevenger. I didn't have a pitcher yet in round three of a head-to-head league, so I was getting antsy about that. But like, I, I let the time tick down almost all the way to yeah. zero because I wanted to convince myself I could take Turner there. But having already taken Bregman and Tatis, two short stops. Yeah, he was my utility. That that yeah. that's also. Yeah. Yeah, but, but you know what? Whatever. Like, He's like awesome. Bryce Harper. Would you have taken Bryce Harper? He went two picks ahead. He went right before Scott, and who picked right ahead of Chris. So. I think that Turner was a good pick, but I think he's definitively a third-round pick in a points league. But he's also very no. good, and he's in his prime. And I think Harper is a much better pick. You didn't have the choice because no. he went to ahead. You don't agree? No. I don't. No. I mean, just look at what they did last year. Well, yeah. Was Bry- Bryce Harper was the number point... eight outfielder last year in points league. And Trey Turner Trey... was the number two on a per-game basis. So is that is that's all we hitter. should use is just last year? I mean, Bryce Harper was the number five outfielder in 2018. It no, is... but Trey Turner has always been Bryce Harper walks so much. Game. He walks, he drives and runs. He scores right. Bryce Harper is very good in points leagues. It yeah, was, it was almost yeah. half. It was point four points per game difference between the two, which is significant. That's just one year. I mean, I think I think Harper has a better profile in points leagues than than Turner does. Like, Turner has well, been Harper, pretty. There, there's just a lot of volatility with with Bryce Harper. So I mean, as much as I would have liked him to fall to me, and I would have taken him over Ozzy Albie's here, but I think making I wouldn't make the argument against Bryce Harper over. 
over Trey Turner because, I mean, there's just a lot of volatility. I mean, the strikeouts have consistently gone up for Bryce Harper. While he walks a lot, which helps in points leagues, the strikeouts are also going to hurt him a decent amount. But, but like, Trey Turner, his OPS in four seasons has been 937, 789, 760, and 850. If Bryce Harper had an OPS under 800, he would be, like, a massive bust. Trey and Turner's done that in two of his OPS. last... Two of his last three seasons, Trey Turner's been at OPS under 800. But sure, Trey but... Turner steals a ton of okay, bases, but, and those but, are worth a lot of points. Yeah, but on what's their gonna own. but what's gonna happen when he ages? We're talking about a dynasty league here. Bryce Harper's not dependent on steals, and he's gonna hit probably 20 more home runs uh, than than Trey Turner. Like, how many home runs did yeah. Turner hit last year? Maybe 20 is too much. Harper's a 35 homer guy each of the last two years. So I don't know. I think Harper's a much better. Like eight, he's got an OPS over 880 three straight seasons. He's a much better hitter than Trey Turner. Yeah, Trey I don't know. Turner he, had 19 home runs in in just 122 games last year. So I mean, he can easily be a 20 25 home run guy with 40 stolen bases. Yeah, I think Harper could could hit 40 home runs. He's done it before. But let's say he's a 35 homer guy. He stole 15 bases last year. He stole 13 bases the year before. He like there is no this argument. I, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to question that Harper's a better hitter than Trey Turner. He's a significantly no. better hitter than Trey Turner, but in my opinion. He's less valuable in head-to-head points leagues. I like, maybe that, he was I'm last going back year, and looking but year by year for Trey Turner, uh, other than other than 2018, Trey Turner has been significantly better than Harper last year's 20, Harper on a per game basis. Turner's 2017 was absurdly good. He was almost at four fantasy points per game. He was well, he's his, been his better. 2016, he was 4.3 fantasy points yeah. per game. He's so been better Harper? than Bryce Harper two of the last three years in fantasy points per game. One of those seasons, actually both of those seasons, he missed a significant amount of time. That's a concern. Um, and he was only 13 fantasy points worse than Bryce Harper in 2018. Adam, I think you're just underrating Trey Turner in this format. No, I think I think you're talking about a dynasty league and Trey Turner's top skill is one that fades over time. That's that's a reasonable argument. I just don't expect it to fade that soon for him specifically. Good, because so, I really yeah. wasn't thinking about that when I first started this argument and I'm glad that came to me at some point during the <laughs> argument because it does make my case stronger. He's 26 years old, so I think, you know, even for the next three or four years, he can be a 30-plus stolen base threat, and maybe even more than that. I mean, the upside could be 40, 45, maybe even 50 for Trey Turner. So, uh, reminder, he's still just 26 years old. I did want to move on to some uh, where some of the other prospects went in this draft. Wander Franco, uh, only the only prospect to go in the first three rounds. And here are some where, uh, where some of the others went in this draft. Uh, Jared Kalenic, of the Seattle Mariners went pick 42 in round four. He was the second prospect off the board. Luis Robert, we mentioned earlier, pick 57 in round five to Scott. Uh, he was the third pre- prospect off the board. We, uh, you know, we've kind of touched on it. That, I mean, that's just a tremendous value. I took Joe Adele with the very next pick, pick 58 in round five. Uh, he was the fourth prospect. And some of the other names, Mackenzie Gore, pick 60. Gavin Lux, pick 71. Forrest Whitley, 78. Kyle Tucker at 81 also went to Chris. So, I mean, out of all those, Kalenic, Robert, Joe Adele, Mackenzie Gore, Gavin Lux, I mean, does is there any value that stands out that this guy lasted too long, this player went too early? Uh, is there anything that stands out there? Forrest Wentley went too early. 
I think. I feel uh, like I imagine Kalenic. Scott agrees. Uh, yeah, I, I do. Um, Kalenic went too early as the second prospect off the board. I mean, he's he's a top 10 virtually everywhere, but um, I, I don't know why you'd take him over Robert. I don't know why in this format you'd take him over Jesus Luzardo. He didn't mention Luzardo was actually third. He went ahead of Luis Robert and Joe Adele and McKenzie Gore, though it was the same round, round five. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Chris. Sorry. No, I, I, I mean, not to, not to toot my own horn, but I think Kyle Tucker at 81 is really good value. I think there's some prospect fatigue with him. And I think that's true in real fantasy. I think that's true in dynasty. Um, he's 22 years old. Agree with the overall point though. He's technically not a prospect. Yes. Yes. He, I think has four more plate appearances or at bats than, uh, he needs for prospect eligibility. So technically he is not a prospect, but he's 22. He has 30, 30 potential. He has a good eye at the plate. He's incredibly athletic. There's no reason he couldn't be a first round pick in fantasy in a year, two years. On the flip side of prospects, we have veterans and that's where Adam Azer comes in. The veteran of fantasy baseball today. He mentioned he drafted Charlie Blackman in an earlier dynasty mock draft that they did. And who were some of the veteran values and how long did they last? Max Scherzer went to the same owner uh, that took Justin Verlander back to back picks, pick 48 and 49 in a head to head points leagues. Look, I mean, at least for this year, the next two years, you're going to be really competitive with, cool. with Justin Verlander yeah. and Max Scherzer. J.D. Martinez at pick 66. Charlie Blackman, 73. Charlie Morton, 103. Uh, Adam, I mean, is this too late for, for Max Scherzer and Verlander, who might just give you Verlander, I don't know, two, maybe three years? Scherzer, three, maybe four? I don't quite share the optimism. And, and if I if I may just say one thing, I think that, Chris was being very deceitful earlier because Bryce Harper's score outscored Trey Turner on a per game basis in two of the last three seasons. Um, I don't think that's true. Adam. It is true. 2017 and 2018, Bryce Harper averaged more fantasy points per game than Trey Turner. I think what you said was that Turner in 2019 was better than Harper in two of the last three seasons or something like that. But 2017 and 18 Harper outscored Trey Turner on a per game basis. Um, I think that, look what's already happened to Justin Verlander. He had two injuries this year. He's coming off mega, mega workloads. And 48 and 49, you know, I'm sure that there are fewer pitchers taken in the top 50 in this format. I looked at the first three rounds, and there were like, you compare the first three rounds of this draft, I think there were nine starting pitchers that went. And then I looked at ADP for head-to-head points, and there are usually 12 pitchers that go. So it's a little bit lighter on pitchers in this form in a dynasty league. I, you know, they both these guys scare me. So there's a lot of risk here. I mean, you might not have more than one. You might not. You might get crap this year from Verlander. He's already had two injuries before the season was supposed to start, including surgery on his groin. Right. So I think big red flags here: Blake Snell, Jesus Lazardo, um, Patrick Corbin. I probably would have taken. I maybe I, if I had those two picks. I would not have taken both veteran pitchers, both Scherzer and and Verlander. I probably would have taken Scherzer and then Corbin probably would have been my pick there. Adam, I just want to say, yeah. For the record, mm-hmm. you come out and you call me wrong. 
You were right. I'm right. I know. <laughs> I know. You were right, Adam. So take that, Chris. <laughs> yeah, so I wouldn't have gone back to back with those two guys. Too scary. But Charlie Morton going after pick 100, that's crazy. Yeah, and that's going to happen in Dynasty Leagues. And, you know, you might want to, you probably don't want to be the owner that takes both Scherzer and Verlander, as Adam mentioned, but maybe pair one of those guys. Like if you would have went Scherzer, Lazardo, that's a good way to take, all right, you know, one veteran and, and maybe one younger starting pitcher who can still help you this year and obviously help you for what we hope to be uh, many years to come as well. Uh, Scott, I did want to just kind of like reveal your final roster and you kind of maybe just give me your final thoughts on it and, you know, maybe a pick that you really liked or, or something that you regret on your roster here. And so you wound up with Real, Real Muto, uh, Carlos Santana, DJ LeMahieu, Alex Bregman, Fernando Tatis, Nick Castellanos, Trey Mancini, Whit Merrifield, uh, J.D. Davis in your starting lineup. You also have uh, Jonathan Villar as one of your reserves in this league. Mike Clevenger, Patrick Corbin, L- Lucas Giolito, uh, Lance Lynn, Mike Soroka, Josh James is one of your relief pitchers. Carlos Martinez, uh, some of the prospects, Nate Pearson, Matthew Liberator. Uh, you have Nate Lowe as well. So you have your boy, Gio Urshela. So what kind of stands out to you uh, for this team? So obviously I went pitching heavy, as I normally do, though I was able to wait until round three to take my first pitcher this time, in part because of something Adam pointed out, that starting pitchers as a whole were slipping a little bit kind of makes sense in the dynasty league they're riskier long-term investments because of all the all the usual all the usual caveats injury potential and and whatnot so um yeah i i still made it a pretty strong emphasis there stronger i i probably have the strongest pitching staff for the immediate future um but other than other than Lance Lynn, I see all of those guys as having long-term value. Certainly Soroka, Mike Clevenger, he's in his late 20s, but he should still have a few good years left. But isn't it risky to make four of your top six picks in a Dynasty League pitchers, considering how injury-prone they are? And I'm and I I'm, after you answer that, I would like to say that getting Luis Severino in round 14, I thought 161st overall was brilliant. I mean, if you're going to take a pitching prospect like Mackenzie Gore, he went really early in this draft, not too early, but early. And you know, you're not, you might not get that much from him this year. Well, 164, he went 60th overall, Mackenzie Gore, 161st. Was it for Severino? I mean, you're missing one year, but then he should be Luis Severino. That was a great, great pick, but isn't it risky in a dynasty league to put so much of your eggs in in the pitching basket and really not having a great core of hitters, I guess. Sure. Yeah, they're riskier long-term investments. I mean, famously, there's um, no such thing as a pitching prospect, right? What's what's the acronym? Tin staff or something tin like stap. that. Yeah, yeah. I think isn't that a baseball prospectus thing? Well, there's no such oh, thing as a free so. lunch. Tin staffel, people say. Tin staff. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, obviously, since that phrase began circulating, the landscape has changed quite a bit, and I'm sure back in those days, I was very much on board with that thinking. Um, it, it was another situation even where in, from a long-term perspective, I tried to mitigate risk by just having excess and in part, you know, drafting Luis Severino after I already had Clevenger, Corbin, Giolito, Soroka, and Lynn. Uh, all, a lot of pitching prospects are there too. Carlos Martinez, who I'm using as a relief pitcher now, but he's 28. So he might be a high-end starting pitcher for several years, or he might not, but 
hopefully I have enough uh, excess here that I can withstand some of the losing some of these guys. Nate Pearson, Matt Liberator, Brent Honeywell, Ian Anderson. Four of my five minor league picks there were were pitchers and and most of them are right on the verge of breaking through to the majors. So even if somebody like Lance Lynn fades, somebody else gets hurt, I should hopefully have uh, potential high-end arms to plug in. And I was also counting on the fact that old guys were going to slip. I mean, Carlos Santana, obviously a points league stud. I got him very late. DJ LeMay, who I think was like round nine. Uh, Whit Merrifield was even later than that. I, 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 I was even more confident because of the dynasty format and mixing in all those minor leaguers, the way it was going to push all the standbys that the the guys we normally target in redraft leagues, the way it was going to push them all down. I was even more confident that that I could afford to go heavy on starting pitching early because I knew I was going to be able to fill out my lineup with high end bats that just fell. And obviously I have less of a future with those guys, but I'll be on the lookout for the next J.D. Davis and the, and the next Trey Mancini, the next guy who's not going to get much attention in fantasy but then breaks through and hopefully be able to fill in uh, as these older hitters begin aging out, hopefully be, be able to fill in the gaps in uh, in that way. I, I was basically building this team with the idea that high-end starting pitchers are going to remain the the most difficult asset to find. And once somebody gets their hands on one, they're not going to trade them without you giving up half your team for them. So I just wanted to make sure I'd never be in a position where I had to trade for one of those. Again, Scott took Severino in the 14th round. Chris Sale went with the last pick in the 14th round. And Noah Syndergaard went in the middle of the 16th round. If you were wondering where some of the Injured players wound up going, injured pitchers specifically wound up going in this draft. And you can find the rest of the results over at cbsports.com. Emails, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. This one comes from Daryl in Calgary. Hey guys, just curious on your thoughts on a Joey Votto bounce back season. Also, one of you really liked Jesse Winker at the beginning of last season and would often refer to him as mini Votto. I haven't heard any mention of him this year. Any thoughts of him making an impact? So Joey Votto and Jesse Winker. Uh, Chris, you are the resident Joey Votto savant. What says you about 2020? I would love to see a Joey Votto bounce back, but I don't see much evidence for it. So it's kind of, if you're betting on it, I mean, it's going to cost you very little to bet on a Joey Votto bounce back, but it's a it's a leap of faith. You know, there, there's not... It's not something where we can point at underlying numbers and say, well, he was better than he played. He pretty much deserved what he did last season. Um, Not as a person, obviously. He's delightful. But as a baseball player. And then Jesse Winker, you know, he's not someone that we've mentioned as a potential beneficiary of the uh, suspended season or delayed season, I guess. But, you know, he he is coming back from a, a shoulder injury, right? Shoulder surgery? It was actually last offseason that he had the shoulder surgery. I was the guy who loved him. I think he was my player I loved on Valentine's Day last year. And maybe I underestimated the impact of the shoulder surgery. Or maybe not. Maybe he just overachieved in all the all the right ways in 2018 to, to dupe somebody like me. But basically, 
every skill measure that I liked so much about Winker, he regressed in, except the line drive rate. Still a very high line drive rate, but the fly ball rate was really low. The walk rate was much worse. The strikeout rate was also worse, though obviously it was still good. And uh, now they have this outfield surplus that I'm not even confident how much they're going to play him. Yeah. It's it's certainly possible he could bounce back and have the kind of season I was hoping he had last year. That's that's happened in my history as a fantasy analyst before, where I'm just a year too early on a guy and then uh, lose faith at the wrong time. But I'm not especially high on Winker this year. No, I hear you, Scott. Tell that to my 2018 Raphael Devers shares, which did not come to fruition. And then I got zero in 2019. Yay. For me, Jesse Winker also can hit lefties. 907 OPS versus righties in his career. 543 OPS against lefties in his career. This next one comes from Eric Cronin. I enjoyed reading Scott's article on a perfect dynasty league and have a question for that. What are your thoughts on a 5 by 5 categories league that simply replaces stolen bases with OBP? This gets rid of the emphasis on stolen bases and seems to make the hitting side of points versus Roto a lot closer in, in similarity. Plus, my other problem with category leagues is the waste that goes into a walk, which is essentially useless because besides a run scored and the occasional RBI, this seems like something that works well. And I've actually made this argument for points leagues versus Roto before. I actually brought it up with Nando, who used to be part of this podcast, and he's like, you can't possibly like head-to-head points leagues over Roto. I'm like, well, Roto doesn't account for walks if you don't have OBP. So, uh, Scott. Do you, like, do you like head-to-head points leagues over Roto, Frank? I love head-to-head points leagues. It's yeah! the one that, that I've played in. So I, my longest-standing home league is a head-to-head points league, and, and I prefer it over Roto. I understand Roto's like the traditional way to play fantasy baseball, but unless you play Roto with OBP, I think that Eric in this email question is right, Scott. I mean, the walk yeah. is just not accounted for enough. I, yeah, I and will he say, was kind of, oh, sorry. He, he was he was kind of referencing in the article where I one of my one of my six points, one of my six priorities for setting up this dynasty league was to make it a head-to-head points league, and I explained why. And a big part of it was the the inflation of stolen bases and how that's not that that doesn't seem like a, a if you're if you're trying to simulate a real life GM experience like nobody's sweating a player's stolen base potential that much in 2020 um not near to near the extent we are in rotisserie leagues anyway so uh if you're if you're eliminating that category and replacing it with something else you know it becomes better you could you could certainly adapt the structure of that dynasty league for different scoring formats and in a way that lowers the value of steals i would be on board with that specifically this change it's kind of scoring batting average twice right yeah. if he's replacing stolen bases with on base percentage yep um yeah i, I mean know. batting average typically take it, it accounts for anywhere from 75 for the elite walk guys to like 90 percent of a player's batting average so i think replacing stolen base with on base percentage doesn't make sense uh but replacing average with on base percentage is fine what if it was do does total bases count walks or no it's just it's no just it's bad just balls. No. yeah okay this next yeah. one from matt Colleaf, dear mclean powell gruber and gennaro powell of course played by carl weathers <laughs> <laughs> that is False. um that is from everyone's favorite Christmas movie, The Nightmare Before Christmas. 
Yes, jingle all the way. One of my favorites. There is always a lot of talk about players' floors and ceilings when it comes to roster construction. Do you put more emphasis on floors or ceilings when it comes to established players or rookies or when it comes to early round picks or late picks? Adam, I'll throw this one your way. I don't know that I have a set rule. I used to say my first two picks, I don't want any busts. So I think I, I more or less follow that. I don't like to take super risky players. There are enough really good players to go around, so why take one that could completely sink your team uh, in the early rounds? The later rounds, what's the point of being safe with a late-round pick? Go for upside there. Those those players are interchangeable. They're going to be on and off your roster. And in the middle rounds, I guess kind of a mix. So I would say the later I get in drafts, the more I'm looking for, for upside. Yes. It, it depends on how the rest of your league is drafting. Uh, if you're playing with a group of players who are really prioritizing upside, I'm totally fine with getting the boring guys who are going to give me consistent, reliable production. Matt also had a second part to his question and asked, how much do you feel that doing mock drafts helps with auction leagues? Do you feel that there is a benefit in doing mock drafts for auction leagues as well? And, and what I would say to that oh, is... Yeah. I think it kind of sets you up with not how much players are going to go for per se, but maybe, you know, th different things that are going to happen throughout the course of the auction. So I wouldn't just use like a mock auction as, okay, these players are going to go for this value, but kind of just to set yourself up for, okay, anything can happen throughout the course of the auction. Oh, there's so much value to doing mock drafts. It'll help you in anything. It's just understanding the player pool, understanding how you want to construct your team, which position you're willing to wait for, and those principles you can apply into into auctions as well. So yeah, there's, and Practice. I don't know if you're talking about doing a mock draft or a mock auction. Obviously, mock doing, it yeah. sounds like oh. he's talking about doing a mock auction. Absolutely, I mean, you can Absolutely. practice with the mechanics. Oh yeah, of that format. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like it, mm -hmm. it's it's so easy to just screw up an auction because based on the mechanics, not even based on your decision makings, but just things are happening so fast and you may not be able to keep up with them. So if you get practice at that first, that's, that's definitely very valuable. All right, that'll do it. It's April Fool's Day. Don't get duped by anything out there. Don't get catfished like Adam Azer did as well. For Scott White, for Chris Towers, for Adam Azer, I am Frank Sample. Thank you all for listening to Fantasy Baseball today. We will see you again tomorrow.